Slice the Podcast is brought to you by Vagaland, a different way to get a mortgage. Vagaland provides insight and advice so you can make informed decisions for the future of your family. Welcome to Slice, property made possible. We are a platform on a mission to reduce barriers to home ownership. This podcast is a safe space for our community to learn together and build the confidence required to start on their property journey. When you're ready to start, head along to slicedubai.com and sign up for your free dashboard. Kia ora everyone and welcome to our live podcast of Slice to Buy. Um, I'm Jenna, otherwise known as DJ. Thank you, Moss, for clarifying welcome. that. It's a silent D when you see it in type, but yeah, no, the Fantastic to have Simran Kaur as well from Girls Who Invest along with us. Thank you very much for, for joining us here. Um, but yeah, no, we're very excited to be kicking this off. It's actually real. We've delayed this once or twice and people were asking a lot of questions, but we're live now and excited to, to get going. So let's let's kick things off. Let's dive straight in. Um, yeah, definitely. Should I mean, we spoke the other day, Sim, about what we wanted to cover today being at such a broad topic as it is. And we sort of thought that maybe just bringing your journey to life and sharing your experience would be most valuable for our audience today. So we talk about the steps of buying property in our other episodes. Uh, They're narrowed down to six steps. The first is where to start, simple as it may sound, probably one of the biggest barriers. The second being what can you afford The third being, how do you manage any relationships if you're going in on property? The fourth being, finding that property and doing your due diligence. The fifth being, managing that property over time. And the sixth being, selling that property. So I think if we just move through those themes, we obviously haven't scripted this because that's not what happens with podcasts. But we've got some here and she's podcast queen. So we'll just start with each topic or theme. And yeah, maybe you can tell us a little bit about your trials and tribulations. So the first one was not really knowing where to start. Where did you start? That's, <clears throat> excuse me, that, that's a great question. I began my home ownership journey in, well, I started in 2020, which was not the best time to begin. Um, and I didn't buy until March 2021. And my journey began, I had started my first job, started working in 2020, February, COVID hit March, went back home um, and realized that I wanted to own property one day. And I remember telling my best friend, I was like, I have this crazy dream. I want to be able to buy a house and I'd like to do it um, in a few years time. And so It was really daunting trying to understand how it works, where to begin, who to talk to. Um, And my first step was kind of, you know, reverse engineering the goal and going, well, if I want to buy a home, I probably don't want to spend more than X amount. Let's be a little bit realistic. I can only put down a 10% deposit. And so I should need, you know, $50,000 or $60,000 saved up somehow, some way to begin. So you immediately started thinking about sort of the finances and what you could come up with. Did you think at all about your values and your why in terms of buying property, like why you wanted that? I think for me, owning a home kind of equaled stability and it equaled um, a level of 
well, if anything ever happens to me in life, I've got this one place, it is mine, it is my own, and I'll always have something to come back to. And that was, I guess, my my biggest why. It wasn't anything, um, you know, more around the ideas of maybe getting financially ahead. Obviously, that is one big aspect of it. But to me, it was, I'll always have this place. And that meant a lot to me. So it's also that emotional stability. Absolutely. Or that, yeah. That's definitely something we've spoken about on other episodes. And I 100%. think, yeah, resonates with a lot of people. That's where... I guess purchasing a property is slightly different to investing in stocks, which is what obviously you've been really focused on prior to that. Did you did you see sort of your investment journey as being building that wealth, building those stocks to buy property or, or what, you know, are your thoughts around that journey? That's a great question. So just a little bit of background. I didn't have, you know, parental help to purchase home or a partner. Um, and so I really had to do it myself and I had about because I hadn't worked very long I had a solid four thousand dollars in my KiwiSaver to help me on that journey (laughs) Um, (laughs) so it was interesting as to you know working out well how can I make this um, money this you know lump sum come a bit faster and one of the ways was um, you know having my job one of the ways was upskilling one of the ways was having a secondary income and then one of the ways was investing everything I was making um, into a um, you know investment portfolio and that was obviously a long time coming Um, and so I found that by doing all of those steps I got to that number a lot quicker Mm -hmm. and I don't think I would have if I just stuck to the first job saved my way and kind of hoped it would work out. Yeah, and so I guess that first step for you became very much about how can I get sort of this minimum amount to get to embark on that property journey what did you think that minimum amount was I thought I needed fifty thousand dollars that was my goal and I thought once I get there um you know fingers crossed property prices don't go up they did and where were Uh, you buying (laughs) (laughs) um and and so yeah putting that together that was my minimum I thought well there's probably no point um almost even trying it unless I can kind of see myself reaching that yeah, and I guess that's a challenge with having that deposit as well, is that if you are leaving it in a bank account, obviously you chose to put it in stocks, a wise decision to do something with it. But if you are in a, you're in a high period, period of inflation as we are now, then you're actually going to find that that 50000 in five years' time is worth 25000 So it, it is about, okay, if you have that today, if you have four grand today, if you have five grand today, how can you make that money work for you? And I think when we come to shared home ownership, so Gina and I both purchased obviously with other people and that's becoming a very valid valid opportunity and an opportunity that the majority are actually exploring. Like you talk about your money journey and, and kind mm. of how you work to get there. What was that for you? Dickie? Yeah, in a nutshell, I mean, I didn't buy with my partner of three months, but <laughs> um, I did get a uh, small loan um, from my father um, that is repayable with interest on it, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but yeah, majority I did, I did save. I was a bit of a fair saver since I started working uh, six to seven years ago. Um, but yeah, no, my experience, I was very tactical after going to yeah, 20 to 30 auctions and turned into price per negotiation, which was the best um, scenario for me um, to avoid all that, well, a lot of crying, a lot of... <laughs> a lot of pain. A lot of emotion. 
Um, there's a lot of crying. For yeah, the there's a lot of crying. Show. They don't talk about that. You know, when you see all the signs, we just purchased a new home. You know, when you see a... You, know, you see the couple, end you know, result and you, it's you like, oh, yeah, you're lucky you're even still in a relationship at that point. <laughs> 100%. 100%. <laughs> and the next uh, sort of theme or pillar is is moving into actually how you get that finance. So obviously you've done some mahi, some work to understand, you know, how much you can pull together, whether that's your KiwiSaver, whether that's what you've invested in stocks, taken from your parents. I say taken, but probably borrowed is more accurate most of the time. Um, but once you get to that stage, how did you find sort of engaging with um, with trying to take on lending? Oh, this is an interesting one. So when I um, started my journey, I really deep dived and had it almost felt like having another degree of like learning how you would purchase a home, what's a pre-approval, you know, when you don't come from a background like that. It's all just jargon and none of it's very helpful. And I did have the privilege of my parents buying a home in, you know, 2003. So I went up to them and said, well, how did you do it? And the way they described it, it kind of sounded like they just walked in, got the home, you know, got the mortgage and off they went. <laughs> um, so they weren't very helpful. And so I had to do a lot of research myself and it was a lot of online reading, you know, listening to podcasts, going to um, mortgage brokers and trying to understand what that process looked like. And I had to I had to make a Google Doc of just everything I was learning because there was so much information that I didn't know and I didn't understand. And it felt quite overwhelming. It, again, when you're in the industry, you kind of, it's, you know, second nature. When you're buying your first home, it's just so overwhelming. And I had to almost do like step one. Okay, I need to go talk to someone. Then I need to understand what my pre-approval is. Then I can, in my opinion, go start looking at homes in that range. So I first went to a mortgage broker. Um, they were great, but they really over-promised, under-delivered. And, you know, single-income person, just started working. Obviously, my chances weren't great. And... I didn't get much luck with them. So after a couple of months, I kind of broke up with them. It was like a very <laughs> – the email was really interesting. It was like, it's not you, it's me, I get it. She's um, on the market, Vega. <laughs> and, um, and so I went to the bank directly and ended up somehow, some way, actually getting a pre-approval and I was very excited and I thought, well, I've only got until this date, like I better start looking before they change their mind. <laughs> Absolutely. I think, yeah, I think that's the thing about that pre-approval process as well as people don't understand exactly what that involves. It's funny you say the word overwhelming because of all of our customer feedback, that's the, the two kind of themes or conversation starters are that's too overwhelming. I don't know where to start. I'm also getting a lot of questions. You guys are an inquisitive bunch. Yeah, um, bring some questions in. There's some really juicy ones, but I'm going to start with just more so with Slice and how it can help people. So one one comment more so. I owned a few properties with my then husband and now I'm back renting after our marriage ended. Sorry to end that. Sorry to hear that. How could Slice get me back onto the property ladder? Yeah, definitely. I feel like I know who this is from maybe, um, which <laughs> means, you know, I know my audience. But I... I think there's a lot of opportunities there in terms of going in with other people. Even there's, you know, I mean, I hope you don't mind me sharing this mum, but um, as a single mum kind of getting back on the property ladder and having to work hard to 
get that family home reestablished, that emotional security, and then um, continue to sort of build your your family's wealth. I think there is this opportunity for, for single women to actually co-invest, uh, and that's something we're definitely looking to support with. Yeah, I think there's there's lots of opportunity there and definitely something that I also leveraged in terms of um, going in on my first property with my mum and my feelings around that were very much that I actually wanted to own my own property before meeting a partner for that security. So I sort of reverse engineered that bad outcome in a way. Uh, but I think there's a lot of opportunity for, yeah, if you have kids, having them go in with you. If you, you know, have no another single mother, co-investing. Because it's not a long-term solution. It, it can be quite short-term. I mean... It was a year before I removed the guarantee with my mum uh, and she benefited from that, as did I. So there, it doesn't have to be your be all and end all. It's more about getting on sooner uh, and then kind of growing from there. Awesome. Might just move, we've been talking a lot about finance, mm-hmm. um, maybe more into like the legal side, some of the your DD, that means due, due diligence, sorry. Yeah, you're meant to be breaking these down. Yeah, no, I was supposed to <laughs> That's be your defining, role. keeping us in check. Um, so, Simran, maybe, like, yeah, what were the sort of biggest blockers that you experienced in, in that area that, you you know, you were saying it was so confusing um, that you'd love to sort of help people in this crowd and online better understand? I didn't even know you needed a lawyer to buy a home. Amazing. So that was a great place to start. <laughs> I just thought, I was like, is this, a, is this a requirement? And it ended up being a actual requirement. It wasn't a, you know, nice to have option. Um, rem- remember, this is during, you know, 2021. This was a time when a home would go up on sale on Trade Me. I would contact the broker and by 5pm they'd be like, oh, the home sold. So it was quite a, you know, quick, stressful period of time. So I had found a home I'd like. It went up on Friday. I went on Friday evening to have a look at it because they were just getting snapped up. And that's when I realised I had to get, like, a lawyer. And, again, um, just very jargon-filled, had to kind of search up, well, you know, there's actually special lawyers for property. Didn't know that. You know, if, again, if you're not – this is not your bread and butter. It's just not something that's well-known. And – I thought it was an interesting experience that I think finding a good lawyer makes all the difference. I think having someone that provides clarity on fees was really important to me. And by doing research, I kind of had an idea of a ballpark figure of what I should be paying. Therefore, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't want to, it's like walking into a a car shop and being like, fix my car, but I also have no idea how much this is going to cost and you could be taking me for a ride, wouldn't know. Um, so it was great to have the education behind nice it. Nice analogy there, I think, I mate. Like bringing that. in the ride, you could be taking me for a ride. I, I saw that some. Thank you. Um, that was accidental. I'm not that clever. Oh, you're wit- <laughs> she's, she's smart and she's witty. Um, and, and so, it, yeah, it was, it was um, not too stressful to get a lawyer, but just the education around it just wasn't mm-hmm. there. To what you're saying there as well around transparency or lack thereof, that's definitely where Slice tries to come in. So we provide fixed fees. We automate the legal agreements so they're all online. So before you even engage with your lawyer, you're on that journey. You're understanding the decisions you need to make. You're understanding the different structures available to you. And then only when you go to formalise that, formalise the purchase, then you have to pay. But you already also know what that 
that fee looks like most of the time, unless you're kind of investing in an island. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I I saw the other day, it was actually not me, but I've had lots of compliments on a social social post. Shout out to Annabelle, but she was like, how many co-owners to buy that island just off the <laughs> off Auckland? And I was like, a lot, probably a lot. Yeah. You sent me that article too, by the way. Yeah. Um, I've got a question for you though, Amy, coming in from Slido. So can you, speaking of legal, um, can you walk us through your first joint property purchase and the process you went through and how you felt about that? Definitely. It's an interesting one because it kind of mirrors what Sim was saying in that I am privileged in terms of my understanding of the law. So I've got a background in law and I've got a background in finance. So I used that and I kind of, instead of, embarking on an unknown journey I already knew the journey and I was just documenting that so that I could improve that journey for others so a little bit niche in that sense but probably what's most interesting is my mum has not had that same experience so I think giving that comfort to the other party whomever that might be um, became really important in our relationship in terms of like she was very comfortable with purchasing property and even then like growing wealth within property. But then the legal side of things, if you're bringing in different relationships, that was kind of new. And to be honest, it hasn't been well managed, you know, to this point. So it wasn't just new for her, it's still new for everyone right now. And that there's this expectation that you don't require a lawyer or you don't require these agreements, but... And there's even, you know, outdated laws like the Property Relationships Act, which means that you should split property 50-50 with your partner, irrespective of your contributions. Um, Now, my partner and I haven't done that, and we don't believe in that. And particularly when you're bringing now, often parents will be supporting in some way. So if you've got your partner, yourself, and your parents, and they're all contributing, how is it fair that I benefit from what the parents are contributing? So there's all of these different dynamics that you need to consider. But I was lucky, I guess, that I'd had that experience. Uh, But I still found it challenging in terms of working out how to communicate and manage that relationship, which was where Slice was born out of in terms of, okay, what would be ideal? Mum would ask me, well, you've got the legal experience. Like, what do you think about this? And I was awkward about it because I didn't want to advise my own mother. (laughs) Like, that felt like a conflict of interest. So having an objective model like Slice supports with that and same with my partner and, you know, he'd, he'd say the same thing. He's like, I know that lawyer's acting for me. Mm. And so it really is about that objective model um, and that's something that we didn't necessarily have immediately but we worked to find together um, and that's, yeah, that okay. was my biggest legal learning. Yeah. Sorry, very long. No, no, I've got a follow-up and it's a bit of a curveball. Um Oh, gosh, someone someone remove it. It was asking, basically, what happens once you're in fractional ownership if suddenly that relationship goes pear-shaped and how will the platform manage that? Yeah, so that's a very good carry-on and that's where making those decisions up front, understanding what your intentions are up front, being on the same page up front means when you come to manage the property, when any circumstance changes, you actually know what that looks like. If someone goes, they want to sell, you've already agreed that process. So that's where the platform supports it. It 
actually enables but also requires you to to make those decisions and complete those legal agreements so that when you come to sell, you all know exactly where you stand. No. Sounds simple, but no one does it's it. Not. <laughs> really not. So before you have a selling point, because we won't go so that's a whole other chestnut, right? Um, going back to you, Simran, in terms of your managing of your property, um, yeah, what sort of words of advice have you got there? I'm thinking about the fact that your ceiling fell down. Well, there, yeah. there you go. Yeah. I don't even know the story, but... I would highly advise getting house insurance. Um, and that comes from... I mean, we were going to do it anyway, but, um, you know, I, I bought my property, ended up working out in the end, and I was looking at insurance, and I was like, do I need contents insurance? Probably not. What's going to happen? It'll be fine. Let's just get home insurance. And I was in Canada. My friend was house-sitting... And she said, don't freak out, your ceiling is on the floor. <laughs> and I was like, what does that mean? Like, this has the roof caved in? No, the ceiling was glued on. Um, and the ceiling had very neatly fallen down um, in the kitchen, living and dining area. It was like an open space, right? Open space. Um, right. Really selling right. property right now. Um, and the platform. I had... I had a I had built a building inspection done. Nothing had come up there. But long story short, the home was built um, in a way where it was glued but not screwed, is what the the builder said. Um, they had the new <laughs> and, and what had happened is um, you know new laws had come in. We needed to have um, forget the word insulation, and so the old owners had. Pink bats installed on top of the old insulation rather than removing it. And so it was a little bit heavier than what it was made to do. And so it very neatly all fell. Kind of fell over my couch, over my TV, over the bench. Um, Graceful. The, the insurance lady was like, I'm sorry, I shouldn't laugh, but this is so funny. I was like, it is funny. But, um, <laughs> it is funny, but it's my house. But yeah, so... so um, get contents insurance because maybe nothing might break into your house but the ceiling could fall um, and get home insurance. And that was my biggest blessing because for a short split second I thought, did I forget to you know repay my home insurance? Thank God I had. Um, it was about $11,000 worth of insurance. So mm. good lesson. Mm. Yeah, and that's actually why so DJ talked about the delay of this event and that's actually why we had to delay this so the Hawke's Bay flooding obviously a very difficult time and I actually couldn't get hold of my mum or other family members for quite a few hours yeah. on the day of Neither but of us could. yeah both of our families so we're very lucky to be here and um, yeah I guess insurance whilst it's a touchy subject at the moment very very important and on that note as well if you are looking at a property and I don't know if you necessarily know this but you should really do a core logic sum report and get a quote before you even purchase that property so that you know it's readily insurable so there's lots of small things like that that you know I feel don't like that wasn't free before I only recently went on like ASB and that was available as like a downloadable it's oh, just one like of those things where there's like so many elements. Yeah. Like there's about 12 things every time you look at a house and there's a checklist on the on the Slice platform for that. But nobody tells you that. So I documented that whilst talking to kind of my banker being like, so step one is this, correct? Step two is this, yes? Are, are you with me? And uh, <laughs> and like apparently everybody has to individually have that conversation rather than, you know, all share the same step-by-step -step checklist. So... 
it is it is daunting if you don't know exactly you know what's involved and that can be very costly if you're yeah. if your ceiling falls it's it's funny you say that about the checklist because when I had up to the point when I then purchased my home I had that google doc with everything I had learned and when I had friends that were then going to purchase their homes I like shared on the document and it kind of made me sit back and think like what a really terrible excuse me <coughs> what a really terrible system where I have to like make information and send it to my friends the stuff isn't readily available if you're buying a home like we spend so much time re oh, sorry <coughs> we spend so much time researching how to buy like our car or you know if you're buying a phone you look into all the information about it all the specs and yet when it comes to buying a house like how much due diligence do we really do yeah that's a scary thing I was like how are you know people that haven't been working in law or finance mm. doing this and that's like that's extremely scary to me because clearly there's a lot of people out there just buying without doing their due diligence which is sort of a step back from manage, but yeah, there's yep. a few things there around your whether it's insurance, whether it's actually, you know, building reports, taking a friend round. Like, there's there's a minimum amount you can do, and then there's a safe amount that you can do, and finding that balance is really important. One thing that uh, you talked about just on a, on a call with me the other day was going into the auction house as well, which I find really interesting because. Both times, actually, I have been on the floor. <laughs> My partner's, like, smiling at me. He was quite happy with me running that chat. You know, I've got a, I've got a lot of chat, so <laughs> here we are. Um, but, you know, how did you find that journey, like, going to auction or whether or not you chose to purchase by negotiation? You know, what, what was your experience in that space? I decided to go through negotiation just because it was, it was just that weird time where it was too risky to go to auction. I didn't have um, the confidence, you could say, or the due diligence to buy my first home that way. I wanted to have some level of protection with a conditional, um, you know, contract or offer, but everything was getting taken up and it, it got really desperate. And I, so I, I did something that um, now I look back and I go, oh, that was just me being young and dumb. But what I ended up doing was... I was like, I'm not getting offers because I'm not offering cash. And obviously, I don't have the money in cash. So I found a home I liked, that home I saw on that Friday. I messaged my bank. I said, I have a very sophisticated Excel spreadsheet on all the homes in this area, what they've been selling for. And I think <laughs> I know what this house is worth. So can you give me the sort of the go ahead to put a cash offer on this house? And they were like, go ahead. But if it's worth more or less, you have to come up with that difference, which I obviously did not have. And I was like, yep, that's fine. And so I went in, put down a cash offer on this house, based it off just my gut <laughs> and in this Excel spreadsheet and just kind of hoped that it would work. And because I did that, I was able to buy the house for cheaper than what other people were offering. Mm. Um, and the valuation ended up coming to exactly what I had put down to the T, which Nailed was a little it. bit suspicious on the valuer. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it worked out. Did you – another thing on that note, you also can get a valuation from the bank and that guides what you may or may not offer too, just while we're on that point. Guides or says what you may or may not offer. Well, 
you know, I've put <laughs> I've put a little bit extra before. Yeah, true, um, true. But yeah, it is a, it is a negotiation, and I think recognizing that, and also saying I've also done some dodgy things, like not <laughs> got that live. <laughs> That's archive now. I'm having too much fun up here. Um, you know, you can get a builder to say this is how much that work is going to cost because every house requires some works. So it, there is nothing wrong with getting a quote for that work and then negotiating a discount based off that. So there's lots of little things like that where you feel like you're not empowered but you actually are and you just need to trust yourself, follow your instincts, do the you know the negotiation and the work and... I feel like that's one of the biggest challenges actually and also as a female in property purchasing I think is not having that confidence and therefore not acting confident. Even if you don't have the confidence, maybe just act confident. Oh, absolutely. Like the amount of um, open homes I went to where I just felt like no one was listening to me or like taking me seriously. Like they would go up to the couple rather than, you know, the single person. You'd be the only single person in the room. Yes, of course. Um, And Girl. (laughs) <laughs> I, I learned very quickly that they'd listen to me if I said, hi, I have a pre-approval. <laughs> um, suddenly that would change the conversation. But you, you, had, to, you had to learn how to, um, yeah, bring, bring confidence into, into the room. And also asking them, this is one that my mum gave me, because I think as Kiwis we can find it quite hard to be direct in some sense. So being like, oh, what's the price range for this? You know, it took me about 15 houses before I you know, got the confidence to be like, what is the range? Did you find... <laughs> Sounds simple, but I'm like I, I also forcing myself into the chat. It's such, like, it's so interesting how, how it works and the nuance of, like, what you even wear. Like, I turned up to a few open homes in a crop top and I was like, maybe no one's taking me seriously because of how I'm dressing. And even though, you know, you can, you can have... Like, I'm too cute for this. <laughs> you can have... The financial means to purchase a home and dress however you want, but in an ideal world, you know, that just it wasn't working. And I remember you talking to me about some of the tactics you put in, in your dressing. <laughs> this was in our private conversations, <laughs> not share, on the podcast. Let's share with the room. We're going back share now. with the room. Share yeah. with the room. I was saying, yeah, I mean, there's an element of big something energy when you go to an auction house, um, and. I took my fake Louis Vuitton bag in and like all of my most expensive kit and I was looking good and feeling fierce. And then I negotiated the shit out of that (laughs) and we bought the house. So part of it might be your own self-confidence, but it's also a generally, it is a vibe. I mean, we've got some, we've got some auctioneers in the room this evening and I know that they're suited and booted at, at the time, you know, so I think you do have to, at least acknowledge that that is there's a culture around that still, particularly in the auction house, and either acknowledge it and ignore it or play the game. What about you, Deej? Like in terms of your, I wasn't how wearing did crop you crop tops in the auction house? <laughs> what were you wearing? Probably just wearing activewear, coming straight from work and just looking stressed. See, that's a tactic too, um. though. Like I don't even <laughs> care, and then they're like, "Oh, she's got money." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I did actually, admittedly, like bring a good friend of my mum's in who kind of looked like my grandfather, sort of standing. Yeah, that's <laughs> solid. That's solid. And he was just like, just, just be quiet. Just, 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 just watch. Just watch. And he would just give, you know, time me 
Was there a bit of a like come in at the last minute kind yeah, of yeah pretty that much. strategy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then tell you when to cut and run, basically. So having someone who's a mentor in that way with you is helpful if you're going in particularly alone. Definitely. Um, but going back to Slido, um, in this market, this is a good question for both of you. In this market, what's the benefit of property ownership, which is high cost and high maintenance, as an investment strategy over stocks, which are liquid? Oh, that's a great question. I think it comes down to leverage. Like, that's always the answer. I think investing in shares and funds are a great way to begin. I couldn't get on the property ladder without, without that. Um, but the benefit of property ownership is, of course, leverage. And, you know, you can put in $10,000 into shares or, uh, you know, co-own and put $10,000 into property. And the, the property, even if it doesn't make the same gains, you make much more because of that leverage that you put in. Um, in terms of the other benefits, um, you know, obviously shares are a lot more liquid. That's great. But in New Zealand, I think to even get one home is a great struggle right now. And to be able to do that and have that as a goal, you know, is really at the forefront of a lot of young people's minds. We see it a lot in our community and we see a lot of people go, well, I should probably just start investing so that eventually I can purchase a home. So even if they invest in shares, um, the goal often is to then transfer that into property. Right. Yeah. 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 I was not warned about that. I just bought this and I love it. And I was like, that, no, that was the correct answer. Thank you so much. <laughs> Leverage. So essentially, if you have 10 grand and you put that 10 grand into shares, that's cool. But if you have 10 grand and you co-own with other people, you can turn that, you know, 50 grand into 500 grand. Uh, and that's where your purchasing power increases, your investment and power, power increases and your wealth increases. So... Yeah, I mean, it's a journey, though. Like, yeah. wherever you're at, you have to find that balance. And I also think it's circumstantial. Like, we talked about it being also your emotional security. So the circumstances are important, too. If you have a young family and you want them to be in a home right now, then that's also important. It's not about being like, oh, I'm going to wait five years. But also, yes, the interest rates are increasing, but that is the, one question I've got. Yeah, but Auckland's undervalued, Christchurch is undervalued. There's a lot of purchase prices that you can benefit from right now. It might be, you know, a period of time where you're paying a higher level of interest, but the actual cost of investing right now is much better than it was, um, you know, six months, a year ago. So it's always a mixture of factors and you always have to weigh up your own circumstances. But leverage in terms of stocks and then in terms of, yeah, interest rates versus purchase price. It's just like, can you afford to make those repayments? That's that's what that comes down to right now. So going back to Slice as a platform, Amy, um, does the platform make recommendations for partnerships in terms of insurance and legal? And how objective is that advice? Yeah, so we work with a variety of partners. So it's all pretty objective in a sense that we kind of sit across the top and we try and create the best possible experience for someone going through that buying journey. Um, we do pick the best partners, uh, you know, some of them are in the room tonight. So that, that is, we do make an effort to, to be discerning around who we're working with for sure, and that's more based on my gut and the values that I feel when I meet the people that I'm working with. Um, but that is important to us. But there's a variety, and we don't funnel you into one, you know, part 
you can actually work with your own partner at one area and then one of ours at another area uh, and we can still support that. So the goal is still the same. We're trying to reduce barriers and support you on your journey. Okay, I'm going to, this is a curveball. What's your vision for Slice five years from now? I was watching um, the Spotify, it's called The Playlist, and that's been, I've been enjoying that a lot because this journey has been a lot longer than even our launch, you know, a few months ago. And when I, it's a challenge between, they always say, think global, act local, think global, act local. But I can't help but have quite big dreams for how this could look, not just for New Zealand, but for the world. I think everybody deserves and should have the opportunity to own their own home. That doesn't have to be 100% of that home, but home ownership should be accessible in the same way that shares and investing in stocks has become more and more accessible. So with a really small amount of money, you should be able to leverage that money and purchase property. So moving back to that, rather than you can currently invest in shares of a property, but you can't, yeah, syndicated property, but you can't actually leverage to do that. So, yeah, the big hairy goal of mine is to syndicate property so that you can leverage to invest and still gain that purchasing power from, you know, 10 grand, 20 grand, whatever it might be. Awesome. So another pretty good question. What happens if you already have a home and decide to fractionally own another property in terms of tax and capital gains? This is a really good question and something we're doing a bit of work on at the moment. Who was that? So that's actually, we're focusing very much on investors as the next kind of partnership or group that we're working with. And there is some ability to, if you're supporting someone else into their first home, there's some capability to avoid some of the uh, restrictions around investment. So that's a, a... TBC perhaps, but there is definitely some ways that you can benefit by co-owning in that investment property or that second property that you're going into, and that's what we're working through at the moment. Questions? <laughs> you said some. For um, some. Yes. Yeah, so, some. Where did you purchase the house that you bought, and at what price? If you don't mind sharing. Yeah, of course. I bought in Hamilton. I was living there at the time, and the area that I bought in um, when I first moved out of home, my friends and I went to flat there. My friends were medical students, and so it was quite close to the hospital. And when we were flat searching. Um, one thing I realised is they didn't care how crappy the homes were as long as they were close to the hospital, they would rent them and they were getting snapped up like this. And so we, we would just go to every single home in the radius of the hospital and they were so desperate to rent these places out. They were like, please let us have this place and it'd get, they'd get snapped up. And so I kind of made a mental note of that thinking, wow, this is like a really interesting situation where these homes are getting picked up by really good tenants because medical students don't do that much besides study um, and are getting picked up quite quickly and then medical students have a system where once they're done with the year they then just refer the flat on to the next group of medical students and it just kind of you know keeps rotating um, and so when I could purchase I really just purchased down the road from where we were staying um, and I purchased it for for $565,000. Nice. So that goes to show as well in terms of you also don't have to buy in mm. the most expensive place for that first purchase too. No, it was great. It was this two-bedroom, standalone brick house with a little garden. 
Um, and because of its location, it was a lot cheaper than the area, but the rent was better and the quality of tenants were better. Yeah, so high mm. yield. It's an interesting one in that my approach was probably slightly different, but it was more kind of capital that I was looking for, but I've turned it into high yield. But I bought in Raglan in a similar probably vein to you as being like, I can not I can either f- afford something really dusty <laughs> in Auckland <laughs> and I don't want to live there anyway. So like I'm either buying this house that's not that nice and probably quite far out so I'm going to rent that out and live closer to the city anyway. Or I can actually open up my whole horizon, buy wherever I want, still rent that out and live where I want in Auckland and so that's what I did and similarly to you I actually just saw it online saw the it was a bit of a it's hard to remove the emotion but I saw it and it was like wooden rafters I was like that's my batch and so <laughs> yeah, I like to think it's a very cool spot it's cool it eh? very you. we had New Year's there one day um we one weekend as well it was very I fun I don't remember it <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I mean, there's there's different strategies, but also very much your circumstance. So if you are happy to live in that house and that's very much what you want to do, then do that. But if it's not cutting the mustard, then don't be afraid to invest in a property that you're not going to live in, you know, right away or if at all. And mm. in, in my experience, it was more I wanted to live in it for a bit. Um, and then after a year, turn it into a rental. So buying it with the idea in mind of, I don't have to love this place. It doesn't have to be perfect, but it should be something I can live in and then feel good about to rent on. Exactly same with, with me. But then you're living in a construction site for a year. Yes. So. <laughs> oh, yeah, we didn't bring up your toilet. <laughs> Which one? Well, the toilet, the laundry, pick, pick an issue. That's a managed, that's many. a managed we won't. situation. We won't take everyone here on that journey. Yeah. <laughs> You'll find out when you... Get a property if you haven't got one already. Um, what's This is a pretty good one. Mm, will Slice have leverage to negotiate deposits or interest rates with banks? Will we have leverage? Interesting question. You are our leverage. Yeah. <laughs> the more customers it's that we framing. work with, the more customers that engage with and want or demand a different way to buy a home the more power we have to, to change some of those banking products. So obviously my background is in banking. Um, and, yeah, I mean, there's been resistance definitely to change and revise those products in the same way that there is to revise the law. It's time-consuming. It's boring. It's not that, you know, profitable for them. Uh, the same with the Relationship Properties Act. Like, that's just not been revisited since the 70s. So it's... It's more about right now we can work with them as is, but the more that people require this, yes, the more leverage we'll have. I mean, in the first three months, we've had about 170 customers move through the platform. So things are, you know, people are demanding that change and are demanding different ways to get into property. So, um, yeah, definitely there's that opportunity. There's also some of our partners that I know are looking to, do some more disruptive kind of lending too. So lots of opportunity for sure. Mm. This is quite a general question. It's not specifically on property, though you can draw on that if you'd like. How do you, as a business owner, particularly a startup, how do you get over the fear of failure? This has got to be for both of us. This is definitely for both of you. How do you get over the fear of failure? I think in the work that we've done, um, for those that maybe don't know my journey, I run girls that invest and we really grew quite quickly over the last three years 
and it's a question we get a lot. Um, I don't think you get over the fear of failure. I think you just enjoy failure and you see it as a tool to fail upwards, like everything we've done. I love that, failing upwards. Failing upwards, you know. I think the difference between us as a media company and maybe the um, work that's happened that hasn't maybe grown as fast has been just from our desire to throw spaghetti on the wall and see what sticks. And doing that enough times, you go, oh, people really enjoy this. Or they love that, we'll do more of that. Oh, we did that, that bombed, we just will do less of that. And the more stuff you put out there, the more you'll learn what works. And that's such a simple way of talking about business, but I think in all the businesses that I've run, that has just worked time and time again, just failing mm. upwards. That's awesome. definitely yeah, it for startups. Amy? I mean, yeah. I feel like you'll have some views on this too, but yeah, I think I don't fear failure at all. In fact, I embrace it. Like If I'm failing, then I'm trying. If you're not failing, then you're failing <laughs> in a way. Like, no, that makes, I think that actually you're sense. failing by not trying. <laughs> yeah. And I think all you can do is try. That's like, and, and also when you change the way that you compare yourself to others by using that as a comparison, that changes your whole mindset. If you go, oh, for me to fail is a positive thing, then you're only comparing yourself to your own behaviours. But if you go, I failed because someone else did this better or I failed because of this, then that's actually, you know, a dangerous territory to be in. Whereas being, taking the mindset of, oh, when I fail, it's just not me doing the best or where I want to be, but I'm, it is that failing upward. It's that failing upward and just knowing that by failing, at least you're, you're trying. And once you change that, when you're trying, you're only competing against yourself as opposed to competing about, against arguably other successful and non-failing, I don't know, people. I think because we're getting really close, pretty much just over an hour, but I'll just start with why, Sim, you got into financial education and then I want to hear, Amy, why you got into tech and housing. If you want to maybe summarise for everyone here. While we're oh, that's a great question. Live. I think it comes back down to my why of why I bought a home as well. I think when it comes to the life that you can live, it really does depend on your resources and oftentimes those resources depend on if you have capital and you know whether it's your health outcomes whether it's your education whether it's your ability to leave a relationship um or be stuck in one it all comes down to well do i have the means to go what we like to call taxi money and that can look like having an emergency fund that can look like co-owning or fully owning a home and by having those options, you then kind of live a life that you want to rather than a life that you have to. And so that's why we do what we do. Love that. New Amy. Yeah, I think thing. similar in terms of that financial freedom or financial independence, very formative for me. It's quite hard because my mum's looking at me <laughs> as I like, Dead as I'm talking. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, from a young age, my parents separated and I saw my mum work really hard to reestablish our family foundations to, you know, get us back into a family home and then take that family home, renovate that and move into the next home. And that was, yeah, just a really big part of my journey was knowing that I didn't want to be in that situation. She did an amazing job, but I guess I wanted to own property you know, first, I didn't want to have to wait for maybe something 
to go wrong. I wanted that financial security, independence, emotional security, independence that was taken away from my mum at, at that time. So, yeah, it was a very deep-seated kind of probably motivation and it's taken me a while to understand what drives me, but that's definitely it. And then in terms of the tech element, I just think tech's amazing and it's in its ability to scale to enable the masses. Like it is about accessibility, what we're doing, what what you're doing with girls that invest. We're trying to create, you know, education for all, access for all, whether that's um, your ability to grow wealth from five dollars into ten or, you know, into your first home. So I think that's where tech is super powerful and I'm super excited to be, yeah leveraging that I guess on on this journey big time yeah fellow tech wahini here there you go um I might round off asking it wasn't in Slido but does Amy have any more gags that DJ doesn't know about (laughs) my last question um (laughs) no DJ but you've done an amazing job and uh you know you're a tech a strong tech wahini so no matter what technical issues we, we undertake. I know we Produce can do it Mike. together. And so easy having some here as well. So thank you so much. Yeah. You literally come in and, you know, we're, we're live streaming. We're live producing. We're trying to get Slider working and Sim just comes in and you've got a real calmness about you and we really appreciate that. So thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank yeah, you for Thanks so me. much, Simran. Thank you, everyone here. <laughs> I knew, I knew it didn't end. I knew it had ended. It actually gets so good. Hang on, wait. Yeah, this is so good. I I love this presentation. I don't even know what to say. I'm having way too much fun. I bought it the other day and I'm like, oh, new hobby. I think that's startups for you. It's like... (laughs) You get real obsessed with something. But, yeah, seriously, thank you, Sim. Thanks, yeah, DJ, thank for Sim. co-hosting. Um, and Always also fun. to producer Mike, to yeah. you guys, our community. Yeah. yeah. So there, there is a podcast series coming that producer Mike did back-to-back yes. filming of yes. over a weekend. We've, we've got episodes. a whole season that follows. We so, do. yeah, keep an eye out. Smash that subscribe. That's actually what producer Mike told me to say. I'm not even joking. <laughs> and Since thank you to Vagaland and Bailey's. You guys are amazing. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So that's it. I'm going to end record and, yeah, have another pals. Um, you can actually crack them without interrupting us from now on. Uh, <laughs> we and, know who you yeah, are. Mingle. Yeah, Mingle. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Altogether Better with Baileys, with over 800 residential agents nationwide. Contact your local office to start your property journey.